Good evening, everyone. Is this, are, we, are we functional? We are functional. Hey, hey, let me welcome you. Let me welcome you. Extend my welcome. I'm Aaron. For those that, don't, that aren't familiar, I, just looking around, I think most people will know that I'm Aaron. If you don't, now you do. So there you go. You've learnt something new and exciting today. And I would hope that as we dive into this passage, you'll learn a lot more important things than, than my name. Let's, let's, um, let, me, let me pray. Let's, let's, let's clear our hearts, clear our minds, leave, leave things um, that, might be, that might be bothering us, might be distracting us. Let's take the space to, to deal with those and, and then come to this passage ready, ready to learn. So let, let me pray and would you join with me? Father, we thank you for your word. It is a special thing, the way you engage with your creation, creator and created. I would ask Jesus that for me and for each of us here tonight that we would be receptive to your spirit's promptings through your word and that we would, we would leave slightly more in your image and likeness, slightly more transformed by the renewing of our minds to be conformed to the image of you, Jesus Christ. So, so would you help us, help us block out any, any distractions, turn off our phones if we need to, to disengage and, and really concentrate and, and be listening? And more importantly, from, from an intellectual point of view, not just listening, but from a heart point of view, ready and willing. Ready and willing to hear and to respond. Yeah. And to respond in a way that you, you call us to. These are not just words. They're, they're words that speak life. So would, would you do that now? We would pray. Amen. Now, I've got to tell you, the passage we're looking at in, in Mark 11 tonight, I, I have the opportunity to speak at a whole bunch of different camps, um, youth group. I, I get to decide generally what, in conjunction with Ben, what series we do. And so I'll often pick some of my favorite passages out of the Bible and, and talk to those and, and love those kind of, those kind of classic classic stories. This is not one of them, I've got to tell you. This is, this is certainly not one of them. And, and when I first kind of read through the passage, I got to the end of it, I was like, right, okay, what do we do with that? But, but let me tell you, and, and this would be my, my hope and prayer tonight, that, that for me, my experience with this passage is, boy, it's taught me a whole lot. It's challenged me a whole lot. It's grown me a whole lot. Yeah. And, and my, my encouragement would be, hey, let's, let's stick it out. Let, let's have a willingness to, to, to dive into it together. Yeah, because there is, there is plenty, plenty in this to explore. So grab your Bibles open. We're going to be having a look. We've only got far, six verses, six verses to look at. So it's a rather, rather short passage. Mark 11 is where we'll be opening up to. Mark 11, 27 to 33. They arrived again in Jerusalem. Sorry, Mark 11, 27 to 33. They arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it amongst themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why don't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, 
We don't know. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you, but what authority I am doing these things. End of passage. Do you have the same kind of thought that I, I might have had when I first, first looked at it? Let me, um, the, the beauty of this is it's, it's a narrative, and so we can break it down just to get a, a really simple picture of what's going on here. So I've given you kind of the, the six almost scenes of this narrative, and this is what we'll, we'll be following as we, as we track through tonight. So verse 27, you, you get that the scene is introduced, the context is set, the, 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 the characters are, are all there. And then we get this kind of three-part interaction. The first part, the Jewish leaders, they come to Jesus. And the Jewish leaders ask Jesus a question. Jesus then turns around and asks the Jewish leaders a question. And then the Jewish leaders are sitting there going, hang on a minute, we just asked Jesus a question, but now we're sitting here trying to work out how to respond to this question. So the Jewish leaders spend the bulk of the narrative trying to work out, well, how do we respond to the question that Jesus just asked us? And then there's this kind of very anticlimactic ending where they say, we don't know. End of narrative. Do you get that? So, so the Jewish leaders, they come to Jesus with a question. Jesus goes, hey, I'm going to turn this around back on you guys and, and I'm going to ask you guys a question. They go, okay, let's chat amongst it and see what we think of Jesus' question. And we don't know. It's a, it's a, bizarre, it's a bizarre narrative. It, it, it really is. But I tell you, there's something, something special and almost something sad, something sad in it, a reflection of our, our human nature and tendency that, that God wants to call out. I have the delight, and, and looking around, there's so many, so many familiar faces from people that I get to engage with in the youth ministry. It's, it's a real special privilege of, of mine to be able to, to work in that sphere. And I'll often come home on a Friday night, kind of 10, 10.30 kind of, kind of thing, and as I walk in the door, chances are mum and, and dad, dad, dad by now comfortably asleep, mum on the couch watching a movie. And, and they'll be kind of uh, 45 minutes an hour in by this point, because it's, it's getting quite late, and... And me being not so much a movie person, me being not so much the movie intellect, will we'll come in and ask some questions. Now, the other week, they were sitting there watching Guardians of the Galaxy. And if you've ever seen it, there's plenty of questions to be asking there. I walked in and I said, right, so who are they? And who, and who, and who, and what, what, what are they is probably more an accurate question. Yeah, who are they? And then the next question, I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm taking off my shoes and, and getting ready to hop into bed and... And where on earth are they? Like, what kind of a movie is this? Guardians of the Galaxy. I take it they're somewhere in the galaxy somewhere, okay? They're in some mystical... I still don't know to this very day. I still couldn't tell you what galaxy they were guarding. Where on earth are they? Who are they? Where on earth are they? And the last question, and this is probably the most prominent one to a movie. This, this formulates the plot of the movie. What are they trying to do? Yeah? What, what are they trying to do? What's their purpose in being there? What are they trying to achieve? What's the outcome that they're trying to work towards? Every movie, you kind of got these goodies, you got these baddies, the goodies are trying to save the day, the baddies are trying to ruin the day or save the day in their own mind. Yeah, what are they trying to do? These guardians of the galaxy, who are they, where are they, what are they trying to do? Now, as you can imagine, on Friday night at 10.30 after a big week at work, when Aaron comes barging in from youth group asking these questions, it's, it's a little bit frustrating for those that are trying to sit back and relaxingly watch a movie. <laughs> and at that point, Dad wakes up. <laughs> But let me tell you, these three questions are really um, useful, actually. Frustrating, frustrating there, and, I, and I'll give them that. I'm working on that one, don't worry. Useful here. Okay, so who are they? Where on earth are they? And what, what are they trying to do? 
So the first question, verse 27, if you can see it there in front of you, it says, who are they? They are the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Or, as I would say, in the King Aaron version of the Bible, they are the big dogs. Okay, that, that would be my, my Australian Aaronized Aaronism language. People were saying the other day, man, you make up so many words. I do. These are the big dogs, okay? These are, these are the elders, they're the teachers of the, religious, the, the law, and they're, they're the chief priests. Why big dogs? Where, do, where does that come from? It's this idea that these guys had all the, the authority in Judaism, okay? They had this real religious power over anything to do with the temple, over anything to do with the Jewish people, and to an extent, even somewhat though under Rome, they had a political power too. Right? These were guys of serious authority between, between the three, three groups of them. They were, as I like to call, the watchkeepers of, of Judaism. They decided how things were meant to be. Okay? Even if that meant it adding in their own kind of traditions and customs, they, they were like, this is how it's going to be. We're going to run this as best we see fit. So that's who they are, these, these big dogs, as I'll, I'll call them tonight. Super powerful, super influential religious leaders of the time, religious leaders over Judaism, right? They've got power, they've got prestige, and they want to keep that power, as we'll come to see. Now, where on earth are they? That was the the second question I asked, and unlike in the Gardens of the Galaxy, this one's a little bit of an easier question to answer, because here it it actually tells us, very straightforward, tells us they're not only in Jerusalem, but they're in the temple, and Jesus is in the temple walking around with them. And you read that, and you go, that's Cool, nice. He's in the temple. Where else would Jesus be? But what we've got to understand is that that the passage prior to this, which Mark alludes is the day before, the passage prior to this, Jesus has walked into the temple, he's turned over the tables, he's driven out the merchandisers, and he's stopped people just coming in to sell stuff. Right? So so the the day before Jesus has done this 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 crazy horrific thing, and the next day he's back in there teaching the people. He's back in there walking around. He's back in there chatting with people. And these big dogs are sitting there and they're kind of going, like, you're seeing, you're seeing what I'm seeing, right? Like, Jesus, what happened yesterday? We, we're not making that up. That, that, that happened, didn't it? Jesus turned the tables over yesterday and now he's back here pretending like nothing, just, just teaching, back like normal. The audacity of him. Yeah, it's unreal. The, 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 the big dogs are standing there going, Jesus has come into our sacred space He's coming to our headquarters. He's come to our office, our place where, where we rule and our place where we decide how Judaism is meant to run. And he's come in here and he's turned over the tables and now he's back here teaching again. The audacity of Jesus. So where were they? They were in the temple and that's really, really significant. Really significant in our understanding of, of what Jesus was doing and how he was in, engaging with them. And what were they trying to do? What were they trying to do? They come to Jesus with this question. They said, by what authority do you do these things? And who? Who gave you the authority to do them? So when you ask the question, what were they trying to do on face value, it seems, what were they trying to do? They were trying to ask him a question. They wanted to know something. If I want to know something, I ask someone a question. It, it seems logical, doesn't it? It seems harmless. It seems really innocent. But when I was, when I was diving this passage with Ollie, he made the really really acute observation that this is the beginning of what we would call a showdown series. The kind of following couple of chapters you see time and time and time and time again that these big dogs are coming to Jesus and they come to Jesus with with questions. 
They come to Jesus with, with challenges. They come, and the text will say, they come and they try to trap him. So we, we get this sense that, okay, they're not just wanting to know some information. They're not wanting to know by what authority do these things, like who gave you the authority. It's not a simple question. It's not, not quite that, that clear. So what is it? Why, why is there these showdowns? Why are they coming him time and time and time again? If you look to your Bibles, you'll find the answer in Mark 11. Mark 11 verse 18 says, says this. The chief priests and the teachers of the law, so these are some of the big dogs, right? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, what Jesus did in the temple, flipping over the tables. They heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and they began looking for a way to kill Jesus. This this was their underlying thing in their question to Jesus, yeah? They were trying to find a way to trap him, trying to find a way to cut him down. We talk about, in, a, in Australian culture, we talk about this idea of tall poppy syndrome, yeah? When someone rises up to a certain point, when someone gets enough, enough popularity and enough authority, we go, uh, I don't like that, I'm not okay with that, because you look like you might actually become cooler than I. You look like you might, 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 might have more power than I do. And, and so we cut them down at the knees and, and try to cut them back down to size. Is that a familiar tall poppy syndrome? Is that a familiar expression for you? If not, Wikipedia will help you out later. Tall poppy syndrome, right? That's exactly, exactly what's going on here. They, they recognise something's up. They recognise that Jesus is rising up and suddenly they're sitting there as the watchdogs of Judaism and Jesus is getting more popular and he's getting more followers and they're like, this is a problem. We need to do something to cut him back to size. So they began looking for a way to kill him. It's interesting. It's interesting. Why? This is, this is their heart. The back half of this verse, they began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. They began to looking for a way to kill him because they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So Jesus, presumably... 30, 32 years old, by the, uh, probably 33, scholars reckon, sorry, at, at this age, 33-year-old, with a bunch of disciples following him, he's just flipped over the temple courts, and they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Let's, let's compare that to Luke chapter 2, right? Have a listen to this in Luke chapter 2. This is 12-year-old Jesus. This is boy Jesus. His parents found him, this is chapter 2, verse 46 to 47 of Luke. His parents found Jesus in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, some of the big dogs, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and answers. So you see here, when Jesus is 12 years old, he's sitting in the temple. He's sitting with the teachers of the law. And here they're amazed. In Mark, they're amazed as well. The difference is... The Jewish big dogs recognise that there's this level of fear now that corresponds to Jesus because it looks like he might start, start taking over their authority. He, he's, he's a lot more prominent now. He has a lot more power. He has a lot more influence now. And so suddenly 12-year-old Jesus, who they were amazed at his teaching, that's cute, that's nice, like a 12-year-old, fantastic, great parenting, Mary and Joseph, you guys, props. 32-year-old, we're not okay with that. We're, we're going to look for a way to... What way to cut him down to size? Quite literally, they began looking for a way to kill him. And so they ask him this question, by what authority 
do you do these things? Who gave you the authority to do these things? And, 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 and what seems like an innocent question, suddenly we realize it's the start of a showdown series. Suddenly we realize they're actually looking for a way to kill him. And I mean, when you think about the question, they're, they're trying to put him in this really awkward place. By what authority do you do these things? Who gave you the authority, Jesus? Who says? Because if you say that God gives you the authority, well, we would say that's blasphemy because we are, we are God's given authority. We are the religious leaders. And we'd kick you out of our temple. We'd have a reason to, 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 to accuse you and take you to court. And if you say it's by man, then what are you doing in a temple? Temple is a religious place. And so they come to Jesus with this question and they go, we know that no answer is actually going to work. And that's the point. They, they, they want to cut him down to size. They want to undermine his authority. It's kind of the first question in this narrative that we have to face. The question from, from the big dogs to Jesus. So then Jesus, he's standing there and he hears this and he goes, okay. I would love to have pictured what went through his mind at this point. Text doesn't tell us, we don't know, but that's one of the questions for your bank for heaven. And he turns around to them and he says, I've got one question for you. Answer me this question and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. And when I first read that, I, I thought of like a little kid's interaction in kind of kid's church age where they're like, no, you can't do that. I asked you first. Like, have you ever said that? Like, no, 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 no. But I asked you first. You have to answer me first. Yeah. There's some parents smiling. You know what I'm talking about. I've done it plenty of times. We, we look at this from a Western culture and go, you can't do that, Jesus. You can't just turn the question back on someone else. They asked you first. Historically, it's actually in that time, this was, this was a completely okay thing to do. Counter-argument, counter-questioning was, was completely respected. The Jewish leaders didn't have a problem with the fact that they asked him a question. But I think more to the point, the fact that Jesus asked them a question shows us something really interesting. Jesus recognised that the Jewish leaders, these big dogs, he recognised that they had an agenda. Right? He, he could see through their plans. It, it wasn't that clever to, to him. He knew they had an agenda when coming to him. And what he makes clear here is that for Jesus, there was no point him engaging with that question because he knew that they, as we'll come to see later, they weren't actually looking for an answer. They were looking for something that could, could result in his death. They weren't looking for an answer. They had a really impure motive. And he says, I'm not going to engage with that. Rather, I'm going to ask you a question. And this question is an opportunity for you to recognize something that's going on in your heart. This is, this is an opportunity for you to call out something that's, that's really not quite right. And it's about time you, you, you realize it. So we asked this question to them. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from man? That's the question. And I sit there and I go, okay, there's a question about Jesus' authority. Why can he flip over the tables in the temple? And now he's talking about John. That would be like, let me, let me, let me say it like this. Picture me on a cricket field. Right? Is anyone who's played cricket here before? Excellent. Cricket's a wonderful game. That's a different story, though. Cricket field, right? I'm not the captain, but imagine if I start doing this. I start, hey, hey Jerry, over the back there, just, just bring it in 10 metres, mate. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. And, and Steve-O, just, just, just push it around a little bit. And maybe let's get two fielders and throw them on this side. And the captain's standing there going, what are you, what are you doing? And, and he comes to me and he says, by what authority are you doing these things? By what authority are you directing the field all of a sudden? You're not the captain. And I would turn to him 
And this is, this is on first value what I thought Jesus did. I turned to the captain and I said, yeah, but let me ask you this. See Bob over there in the, the change rooms, our 12th man? Do you reckon he's a better batter or a better bowler? It's got nothing to do with it. On face value, you're going to sit there going, you're trying to join the dots. What is he saying? What's Bob got to do with the changing field? That's the point. And, and I read this on first time, went through, and I went, that doesn't make sense. What's Jesus up to? What's he trying to do? What's, what, what's going on here? Beautiful thing is, unlike my poor cricket analogy, Jesus is completely intentional with his question. He's completely intentional. It's actually kind of, kind of amazing. His question gets to the heart of the issue, and his question calls out that of authority. So his question, let's dive into it and understand what's, what's going on here. There's a bit of background that we need to get through. John's baptism, heaven, God. Uh, heaven, man, where's the source of it? Where's it coming from? Is it from heaven? Did God send John? Or is he just doing it on his own back, on his own authority? Okay. So I've got this little, little diagram here. I'm a teacher by function. That's how I operate. And, and this is how my logical brain works. So there's a little insight for you. If, let's say if, one of the two options is if John's baptism is from God, okay? If it's from God, then what we've got to recognize is this, there's these two spheres going on, okay? Over here, you've got in the temple, you've got the Jewish leaders operating sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. In the temple, big dogs running sacrifices, forgiveness of sins. Over here, in the Jordan River, you've got John offering baptism for the forgiveness of sins. John also proclaims the coming of someone. He says, hey, Mark 1 records this. There's someone coming greater than I am. I'm unworthy to tie the sandals on his feet. We might be familiar with that verse. He proclaims the coming of Jesus. He says, yeah, there's someone coming that's better than me. So what does this, what does this mean? For the big dogs, it means they're, they're standing there and they're looking out at John's, John's ministry and they go, if John's ministry is from God and we haven't taken part in it, does that mean we're outside of the ministry of, of God? Does that mean we're, we're kind of like we are looking at last week with the fig tree? Does that mean we're kind of redundant in our, in our functionality? Does that mean we actually are no longer God's appointed leaders anymore? Does that mean we lose our authority? And on the other side, they're standing there and going... Well, if John's baptism is from God and he proclaimed Jesus, then Jesus, who John baptized, and Jesus, whose ministry followed forth from that as, as the prophetic fulfillment of that, then that must be from God too. And therefore, Jesus must have authority. And you can see kind of their cogs turning over here. They're standing on this side going, right, we're going to lose authority if we say his baptism is from John, because suddenly there's this ministry offering forgiveness of sins outside of us. We're going to lose our authority. We're going to lose our, our people. We're not going to get pigeons brought to us anymore. And then there's people on the other side of and then they're sitting there going, and Jesus, who we're trying to undermine, he's going to get authority. And so what Jesus does is, the Jewish leaders come to him with a question. It's like they're pointing a gun at him. And he, he, he just asks them one question. And suddenly they're sitting there going, oh, if we say John is from God, we're kind of undermining our own authority. We're kind of shooting ourselves in the right foot. And Jesus then also has authority in shooting ourselves in the left foot. That's not what we want. Okay, 
So what's the other option then? The other option is they say John's baptism is for man. And this is the other option. They're sitting there going, okay, this is good. This is promising. Jesus has given us two options here. We like this. It can't be from God. That's not going to be good for us. So it must be from man. There's a problem with that too for them. Verse 32 talks about how they feared the people. They feared the people, and Luke's account of this, of this story even, even goes to the extent of saying they feared that the people might stone them if they say John's baptism was just man, because the people thought that John was a prophet. The other thing that, that they feared is that they feared that by doing so, not only would they be stoned, which would be bad, they would be dead, but they feared losing their authority. You recognise in, in the temple, if we're, we're kind of over this side, temple operating, the way it operates is that it requires people to engage with it for these guys to keep their role and authority. I mean, you can be a priest in a temple, but if there's no one actually coming to the temple, then what, what do you really do, right? So it's, it's, it's merited by, by the people that actually engage with them, all right? This is, this is the authority that these guys are, are trying to operate. Suddenly, if they do something that means that these guys don't actually agree, right? They fear that the people are going to disagree. If they say, John's from man, the people will go, no, we think he's a prophet. They will step out and they'll go, okay, we'll go elsewhere then, right? We'll go engage with John's ministry out in the wilderness. We'll go and eat, eat locusts and, and honey, right? And suddenly they find that all the people disappear and they've got no authority over anyone and it's an empty glass and they're sitting there going, what happened? And so they realize that if they say John's baptism is from man, they're going to lose their authority, does that make sense? So either way, they're in this tricky situation of going, if we say it's from God, we lose our authority. Jesus gains more authority. If we say it's from man, we also lose our authority. They get themselves in a really tricky situation. There are times in life, I said some morning, we, we just started a crèche class out in Hurstbridge, which is delightful. I said, if, if I went out to that crèche class and I gave them a year 12 calculus question and I said, no help from your leaders, you've got to work it out. Chances are they'd come back to me in five minutes and they'd say, Aaron, we don't know. And I would say, I didn't expect you to. That's completely okay. Same as if I, if I went into a, 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 a church in in uh, let's say France, and, and went in and said, can you, can you sing for me the Canadian national language in a tribal language from Morocco? They would look at me and they'd go, firstly, why would you want to do that? And secondly, we don't know. And I would say, good, I'd be concerned if you did know. Yeah, that's, that's completely okay. There are times in life, what's the point of those kind of two silly, silly analogies? There, there are times in life where it's completely okay to say we don't know. But this, this is not one of them. The, 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 the Jewish leaders respond here, we don't know. And, and Jesus picks up on this. This is a really soft answer. This is kind of that get-out-of-jail-free card that, that you play in Monopoly. It's, not, it's a non-legitimate answer. Why? What's, 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 what's wrong with it? The, the problem that's, that's picked up in this passage is that um, it's not that they don't know it's that they're unwilling to know. Never in, in the discussion here in this passage do they, do they say, what do we actually think? Never do they say, what do we actually believe? 
never do they actually say, what, what is actually true? It's, it's not a discussion of true or false. It's not belief versus unbelief. It's, it's what's going to be good for us to say. Yeah? That it's recorded, if we do this, or if we say this, then this will happen. If we say this, then this will happen. It's this kind of cause and effect model that they're focusing on here. They're trying to work out what can we say that will make it most convenient for us? What can we say that will work the best for us? There's no interest in belief or unbelief. There's no interest in true or false. Simply safe and not safe. Beneficial and not beneficial. Authority gaining, their ultimate goal, or authority losing. And so when they recognize and they get cornered into the point of going, we can't gain any authority. There's no safe answer here. There's no beneficial answer here for us. They go, we don't know. And, and, and this passage picks up, it's, it's a really soft response. It's a really concerning response. And to me, it kind of highlights three issues. All, all rooted in, in authority, and that's why I've done it in blue there by accident. But number one is the most important one there. It's this issue of, of authority. Okay? You've got the issue of authority, the issue of identity, and the issue of, of bondage. I'm going to use my hands to paint an analogy. This is why I like headpieces, because I flap around my hands too much. These guys were so focused on... The big dogs, sorry. They're so focused on, we want to keep our position, all right? We want to keep our place. We want Judaism to run the way we want it to. We want to make the calls. We want to be an authority. We want to have the power. We want to have the right. We want to have the permission to do these things. And they kind of get closer and closer on, on, on clamping down on themselves, okay? And they find that they have this issue of bondage to themselves. They're captive to themselves. They're, they're, they've clasped so tightly on, no, this is, this is how it's going to be, to the point that they don't even consider. Well, someone's asked this question. We, we don't even consider what we think. Yeah? Is, is, is Richmond Football Club the best, the best team? Dad would instantly say, yes. Yeah? It doesn't matter whether we've lost all the games all season and, and there's another team that's clearly better, right? We, we can become so convinced on, no, this is how it's going to be. This is how we want it to be. We're unwilling for it to be any other way. And this is what's happening here. They're, they're, they're clasped so tightly to it. But the problem of being bondage to yourself, the problem of being trapped to your own authority is that you're actually caught in bondage to everyone else. And you actually find yourself, as soon as, as soon as the people you're trying to have authority over, as soon as they go, oh, we, we like this paddock over here. We like this place over here. We like... You find yourself, oh, okay, we'll move over there. We'll move over there. We'll and you're constantly in this, in this fluid state of moving where is most convenient for you. You're constantly trying to find, oh, where can I find myself? Where can I say? Where can I make myself seem so good? And where can I get the most compliments from? How do I dress? Uh, what job do I do? What car do I drive? What kind of things are going to keep me in this place of, of security? All right? When we find ourselves in bondage to ourselves, when we find ourselves trying to hold on to our own authority, the authority of man, we find that we actually get bondage to everyone else and what they think. And they can blow us wherever they please, even though we may convince ourselves that, no, we still got this. We still got authority. We're still in charge. Everyone's taking us where they want us to. It's a real problem here. And the problem is, it's not only an issue of bondage, but it's an issue of identity. I would suggest the reason these big dogs were so caught on, we must keep our authority. They were, they were so captive on that, and they were so bond, bound to themselves in that, 
is because their authority was so closely linked to their identity. Right? Their, their place and their status as, as the religious rulers. This is who we are. Yeah? It, it was so tightly connected to the point that if they lost their authority, yeah, if there was suddenly a, a, a ministry outside of them, God's ministry, how good is that? But they can't see that because they're so tightly linked on, no, this is who we are and this is what we're holding on to. And we're not willing to change on that regardless of, of who it is or what it is that's calling us. The issue of, of bondage acts as a barrier to belief because we're too interested in our issue of identity. And to be honest, it's a blind spot. These guys didn't, didn't realise it then. The following passages tell us they, they still haven't, haven't realised it. It's this issue of authority here. I made up another term this morning, this idea of big dogism. Okay? We, it's, it's not that I, I look around and go, we're all kind of big dogs and we all have serious issues with authority and we're all kind of religious, powerful people in Judaism. We're not. But we do have, I would say, I, I have at least, a tendency towards big dogism. I have a tendency towards this kind of little lowercase big dog where I like to operate under my own authority. I like to operate under the banner of Aaron and how, how good that is, all right? My own authority, and that's rooted in my own identity because that's where I feel secure. That's where I feel safe. And, and you can find yourself time and time again when you reflect and when you open up to the Lord and, and you recognize, no, no, I'm not safe in that. I'm bound in that. And people are pushing me wherever they go. Ministry, you, you find it happen there. You, you're not exempt from it when you step in into a ministry, when you serve in a church. You, you're doing God's ordained role. How fantastic. You can still do it under your own authority. You can still do it under your own banner. You can still grasp your hands so tightly together and say, no, this is the way it's going to be. And nothing's changing that. This is, this is my role. This is my place. No one's taking away from that. And I'll do whatever I can to keep it because this is such a part of me and I'm willing to change that, un unwilling to change that. So let me, let me ask you, and I would suggest these kind of questions that you can um, even write down if, you, if you've got notes there or, or, or just put into your, your mental brain to come back to because they're, they're ones that dig deep into who you are and, and they're ones that almost draw out things in you that you might not even be aware of yourself. We'll run through authority, identity and bondage. What are the areas of authority? Authority simply means the, the rule, the right, and permission. What are, what are the areas of authority where, where you are taking your own rule, right, and permission over things? Where you go, it might be with your friends, it might be with your family, it might be in your workplace, it might be at school, it might be at college or uni, where you go, no, no this, is, this is the way it's going to be, and this is how I want it to be, and this is the place that I want to have, and I'm going to stand on that. And nothing's changing that. It might be a character trait that you have. And you go, no, this is the way it's going to be. It could be blatantly obvious. Someone comes and points it out like Jesus does to you. He goes, but you go, no, 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 that, that's my identity. That's, that's part of me. Everyone knows me like that. I'm, I'm getting tighter on that. What are those areas? What are those areas? If you're in, in, in youth at the moment, you'll realize we're, we're doing a, a series kind of... I, we didn't even realize at the time. The series on peer pressure. It's not actually the series. The series is looking at the different kings and, and looking at how did people of such great power and influence and, and who had it all, yeah, I'd say in the West, there's so much that we have, stuff, who had it all, how did they fall? 
with Solomon, was peer pressure, it was political influence around him. He wanted to be like those around him. With Saul, it was peer pressure. He saw people running away from his army and he, and he, was, a, he was scared. He, he wanted to be the big ruler, right? He wanted to have the authority. He wanted to be victorious and, and lead his people into battle. This brought about their downfalls. What are those, what are those things in us where because of our, our insecurities and our fears and our own identity that we clasp onto an authority of man that, that gets blown wherever the breeze will take it? And what would it look like to surrender those up to the Lord and say, no, I, I, I know. I might have been unwilling in the past now, but, but I, I know now that there is an authority that is solid and an authority that is central that I can place myself under. And when I place myself under the authority of Christ, right, I place myself under here, my identity is secure and it's firm and it's steadfast. And in that place, I can live free. I'm not, I'm not bound to anyone because Christ doesn't change and chop with the winds, right? It's the same yesterday, today and forevermore. He, he's, he's solid. We can live in that. What, what would it look like for you to step in, in that particular area you're thinking of, school, work, family, friends, heart issues, practical issues, what would it look like for you to step into that place and say, no, I actually want to step back in line with the authority of, of Christ and allow that, that action to go, no, my identity is okay with that. I'm okay with the fact that other people might think certain things. I'm okay with the, the fact that it might seem on face value that I lose out on things. I'm okay with that because I'm stepping back in, into the, the authority of Christ. The issue of authority, the issue of bondage, the issue of identity. Let's, let's pray, but before we do, I'll ask this last, this last question. We talked a little bit about agenda. I probably talked about it more this morning, but this idea that these, these big dogs had an agenda when coming to Jesus. They had their mind fixed on something. They weren't, they weren't willing to move. And this is probably your starting point. If you have one question to start off with, in what ways is our inability to believe really a reflection of our unwillingness to submit? In what ways, how is our inability to believe really a reflection of our unwillingness to submit? Why don't you, why don't you take a moment, think of those things, the issue of authority, the issue of identity, the issue of, of bondage, which, which one is the strongest one for you? Why? Pick, pick one thing that you know is, is an issue in those areas. And once you've picked that thing, once you've got that, that thing in your mind... I want you to ask yourself, am I willing to submit that authority? Or am I simply going to ignore it and say, I don't know. And I'm not willing to know. It's there. It's looming. But hey, it's much more comfortable. It's much more convenient. It's going to be better for me if I just leave it alone. Would you start that discussion with the Lord of, Lord, would you give me a willingness to shift?
Jesus. That's where it starts. Help me identify the areas that need to shift and then give me a heart that says, yes, I want to shift. Mark 12, 14 says this, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. Talking about Jesus here. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. And Jesus, I would, I would hedge my bets. It is for me. I hope it is for, for people here that this would become a prayer for us, that we would learn what it means to be people of integrity, that we wouldn't be swayed by others, that we'd not pay attention to who they are, but rather we'd teach the way of God, we'd live the way of God, we'd seek the way of God knowing that you are the truth. You are the true authority. And, and we, we're sorry for those times where we've had an unwillingness, where it's not been a question of true or false, it's been a question of comfortable, not comfortable, safe, not safe, willing, not willing. We're sorry for those times. Help us be more attentive to those times, be more aware to those times. Help us come back under the one true authority. Christ alone, our cornerstone. Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen.